welcome to Hope City Church, Melbourne, Australia. Stay tuned for another inspiring message by Pastor Andrew McGrath. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Luke 15, verse 1. I'm a father. And one of the things about being a dad, I'm sure it's the same for mums, but I'm not a mum, so I'll speak on behalf of the dads, is that when you have children... You want them to be all that God's called them to be. So when they're first born, your deep desire is that they would master the art of, of eating. I have many fond memories of my kids, you know, taking them to, to fancy hotels. And I remember Adam as a little boy. We put him in the, a little chair and, and there was food spread from one end of the chair to the other. It was such a mess. And... Uh, but that's okay because he was a little child and he was mastering the art of getting the spoon to the mouth. And as a, as a father, there's great joy in seeing your kids master those small things. And then you get to the second stage of teenage years and there are new things to master and what was acceptable as a child is no longer acceptable as a teenager. Hopefully at, the, at teenage years, they've mastered the art of getting the spoon to the mouth, and they're learning how to use a knife and fork correctly. I keep saying to my kids, I'm training you for your, for your first date, that when you meet your first boyfriend or girlfriend, you'll know how to eat. <laughs> and uh, that's a challenge, isn't it? And then as they go from teenage years to adulthood, there are new parameters that you want them to, to grow and to master, to become all that God's called them to be. And it's the same with the heart of the Father towards us. He loves us so, so much. And His desires for us are where we're at, first in babyhood and then as teenagers and then as full-grown, mature sons and daughters of God. His love is expressed in many different ways. And I want to share with you today out of Luke 15 because these three parables talk to us about the love of the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit towards us. And as we read this story, God's going to speak to you in a powerful way this morning. You ready? Yeah. That's good. So Luke 15, verse 1. All the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to Jesus to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus spoke a parable to them saying, let me tell you, and he said, let me tell you what my father is truly like. So there are two groups of people as Jesus begins to tell this parable. There are those that realize they have need of Jesus and those that think they have no need. And I pray today that as I speak this message, that I'm speaking to people that recognize they have need. So Jesus shares three parables, the parable of the hundred sheep, parable of the 10 coins, and the parable of the two sons. Do you recognize something just there? It's not a trick question. 100, 10, 2. Each parable, there is a shrinking of the size that Jesus speaks of. 100 sheep, 10 coins, two sons. And it tells us as we progress in the things of God, it starts off really easy to get saved. You just say, help. It's all you have to do. No, no, nothing else. Jesus does all the work. It's just you come as you are. You don't have to clean up your life. It's funny, you know, a lot of, a lot of my friends I remember as I grew up, I'd invite them to church and they say, oh, hell would freeze over before I'd go to church. If I went to church, the, the building would fall down. It's like they think in their minds they have to clean up their life to come to God. Church is a hospital. Hospitals are for sick people. You don't say if you're sick, when I get better, I'll go to hospital. You go to hospital because you're sick, because you want to get better. You come to Jesus as you are. And in this parable, there's a hundred sheep, then there's 10 coins and two sons. And as we progress and we understand the love of the Father towards us, we understand as we mature and as God's love works on us, that the way gets tighter and tighter, the consequences get greater and greater. The reward and the significance outside ourselves becomes more and more. Firstly, it's all about us. 
us getting saved, us getting transformed. But we then begin to see that the love of God has a bigger agenda, not just about me, but about me changing the world that God has placed me in. Are you getting that? So that's what we're going to see this morning. So verse 4 to 7, there's a picture of Jesus, the good shepherd, searching for one lost sheep. It says that as he finds his sheep, he puts it on his shoulders and he takes the sheep back home. The first point is this, that Jesus, the shepherd, pursues me so I can be reconciled to God. Jesus, the good shepherd, pursues me so I would be reconciled to God. I love this story because it says that he searches for one sheep, he puts it on his shoulder, celebrates over the sheep because it's now safe with the other 99 sheep. The first time 99 is mentioned in the Bible is about Abraham. God comes to Abraham when he's 99. He spent 13 years in rebellion, angry at God, you know, not hearing God. And he goes through this, this process of being transformed in those 13 years, 13 the number of rebellion. And at 99, God comes back to him again because he's matured through the process. So there's 99 sheep that that are saved and matured, but there's one sheep that's gone astray. And Jesus goes after that sheep. And it says there's more joy over that one lost sheep than over all the 99. (laughs) That tells us where the focus of the kingdom is. The focus of the Father's heart is in that which is lost. It doesn't mean he doesn't love us. You know, when... When I had baby number five, well, my wife had it, but I came along for the ride. The the focus was on Matthew being born. That's where the joy was. Now, it doesn't mean that we didn't love all the other four children, but the focus was on that which was new that had come into our life. And there was great joy over his birth. Didn't mean we didn't love the other four. Now, Jesus loves the 99, but the focus of the kingdom is on here, is on that which is lost. And Jesus goes after him. Do you know the Hebrew letter Kuf, which is a letter in the Hebrew alphabet, has the numerical value of 100. And this letter, Kuf, actually means to be behind. It's a picture of the head or the, the back of the head, behind the last or the least. It's interesting that, isn't it? Because as I look at this parable, there are 100 sheep and all of them have come from a place of being behind the last and the least so as we read this passage of scripture we begin to see that every single one of us were lost i know it's profound but we were lost and then we were found we were the least the last and the lost and jesus came and rescued us The interesting thing about this parable is long before we chose God, God chose us. The sheep's in the wilderness, oblivious. Well, it knows it's lost, but that's all it knows. And the good shepherd realizes the sheep is lost and initiates the journey towards the sheep. The sheep doesn't go looking for the shepherd. The shepherd is looking for the sheep. This is really important for you to understand about the love of God. God's love initiates and pursues you. Do you remember the day, for many of you who are born again, some may not be today, some listening may not be born again or have accepted Jesus into their life, but the moment you ask Jesus to come into your heart, everything changes. And for many listening or here today, you can remember the day you were born again. You made a decision to follow Jesus. You said yes to him. You said, okay, I get it. I'm going to follow you. You made a decision to follow God. You said, I'm in. But under that iceberg that you can see on the top, which is your decision to follow him, your pursuit of him, your acceptance of him, is underneath this iceberg is a whole lot of heavenly activity. From the moment you were born, even before you were born, but let's just 
Take it from when you were born. There's a whole lot of activity. The day you were born, the parents you were born to, the people that you came across, the fact that you even heard the message, the fact that God warmed your heart when it was dead to sin. There's so much activity going on to get you ready for that moment where you thought you accepted him. God's been pursuing you from the moment you were born. See, I I think many of us, it's like two sides of a coin. Our free will, God's sovereign choice and purpose. And, and, And one doesn't cancel the other out, but... As human beings, we, we focus on our decisions, our will, our choices. But the truth is, you can't choose God unless he chooses you. You were dead, finished, kaput. You had nothing in you that warmed your heart towards him. He's been pursuing you from the beginning. The fact that you are here today, the fact that you are listening, is because we have a Father in heaven who loves us, who has been pursuing us relentlessly. And you woke up and thought, oh, I think I just got to church today. Really? I know you did think that, and it's a good decision. But behind that is a Father that's wearing you and drawing you. And the Good Shepherd pursues me. What a wonderful thing, hey? It takes all the pressure off. You know, I know that you find this hard to believe. But the first day that Karen saw me, the first day she saw me, this is what she told me later, her heart flooded. And she, <laughs> it is true. You told me. And, and she said in her heart, I, this is true. Maybe that flooding of the heart was a little exaggeration. But, but she said this, I am going to marry that young man. I believe it was the pink shirt I was wearing. Pink silk shirt at that. Now she could have done me a lot of favours if on that day she had told me. Because I saw her and I thought, she'll do me fine. I think I like her. But, you know, she kept that a secret from me. We call it playing your cards close to your chest, playing hard. Because you want to make sure, you know, women do that. They, they, some women, they, they want to make sure that you're serious. They're not going to pull all my cards down. And so she, she, there was a process. Called, we call it courtship or being wooed. But I didn't know that she, I didn't know that she wanted to marry me. If I had have known that, oh... I would have saved many sleepless nights. Will she, won't she? You know, all that stress and anxiety would have gone if I had have known that she was pursuing me. But you know, God's pursuing us and many of us don't know that he's pursuing us. And so we're anxious and worked up about our life and about will it all work out? God is pursuing us. God has a plan for us. And from the very beginning, he's been head over heels in love with you. And he's pursuing you because he wants to bless you and fill you and everything that he can do to make your life worth living. You were always his choice. You just didn't know it. So like the sheep, you found yourself alone one day and you thought, There's got to be more to life than this. And you had that aha moment where God revealed himself to you. And you recognize that he'd always been pursuing you. He set the whole thing up. That that makes me smile because as I was pursuing character, I used to set things up. (laughs) It, It helps to have a bit of authority. So we go on camps and just so happened to she would be on the same clean-up roster as I was. And it was just, oh, and she was thinking, oh, God, you've answered my prayer. So he's answered his your prayer. This man's been manipulating the rosters, and she always found herself closely by me. And it's like, God, God is setting you up. He's manipulating the roster. He's bringing people across your path, and it's all part of him pursuing you. Because he loves you. You thought it was by chance, by coincidence. You thought it was just one of those things. You thought, or isn't it unusual? But no, it's God pursuing you. Nothing's by chance with your life. 
God loves you and he pursues you. And that's why I love this parable because it's a picture of Jesus coming for me. Not for anyone else, but for the one. And we live in a world that's so big and so large and there's so much activity. And we've got to remind ourselves each day that Jesus died for me. He pursued me. And every day I wake up, it's with the understanding that I am relentlessly pursued and loved by God. And I never do one day alone. You're going to need to know this. John 6, the Passion Translation says, The only way people come to me is by the Father who sent me. He pulls on their heart to embrace me. John 15, 16 said, You didn't choose me, I chose you. So I want you to get that in your heads really clearly today. You didn't choose to follow Jesus. He chose you. He says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And I appointed you to bear fruit. This wasn't your clever idea. Well, I've assessed all the things in the world and I think I'll follow Jesus. Now, that's not in man's heart. Man's heart is desperately wicked and fallen. And God comes to us and warms our heart and he says, I've chosen you. And we respond to him choosing us and we say yes. We only need a deep awareness as we go forward in this story because unless you're aware that you have been called by God, you won't go through the process of what the calling entails. Remember, 100, 10, 2. So we start off the very beginning. God chose me. This is his idea. My life is his idea. For Alpha and the Omega, he's got it all mapped out. I am in his hands. I need to know that there's a God that's gone into my tomorrow, that's chosen my future, that I'm not just the product of my own choices. Now, I know I need to choose well, but I need to know that God is initiating and pursuing me every single day of my life. Have you ever found that? I've gone through days, not too many days, but at times days where I felt depressed, anxious, worked up, And I find myself going into a deep, dark hole. Has anyone been like that? Okay, I'll talk to this side. And it's in those moments where I can't see any way out. I feel the Holy Spirit come to me or he sends someone to me. Something happens that pulls me out of that hole. He's pursuing me. Left to my own devices, I would go down, down, down. He's a good God. And he pursues me and he initiates. Every day, there have been moments where I could not see a way forward. But he's there, initiating, calling, pursuing, loving. Jesus is telling this parable to the sinners and the poor and the lame. I'm pursuing you. I've initiated this moment in time. The Pharisees are trying to push the sinners away. And Jesus said, no, this is why I came. I'm initiating this moment. I'm pursuing these people because I love them. He pursues you today. Yeah. Amen? Amen? He pursued me so I could be reconciled to God. Number one, Jesus pursues me to reconcile me to God. And he restores my position as a son and a daughter. This is what Jesus is saying. This is what the Father reveals to us. The love of Jesus that he would pursue me. See, if you don't have that in your heart, that God initiates, God pursues you will never go forward in your life. You'll always be stuck. You've got to nail this in your heart. I am pursued by God. God has called me. God has pursued me. It's at his initiation. He's called me because he thinks I can do it. Actually, that's not true. He calls me because he knows I can do it. He's pursued me. He initiates. My life is not my own. Man's heart can plan his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. God has directed me. God has mapped out my life. Well, I don't know about that. Well, you know, there's so many things out of your control. God is the author of your life. If you say, Andrew, which side of the coin do you believe in? I believe in both, my free will and God's sovereign place. But my heart seems to go more and more towards God's sovereign ability because I know so many times my free will makes bad choices, but God sovereignly oversees all that. 
And I was talking to Dean about that last week. As you study the scripture, overwhelming evidence in scripture is that God is a sovereign God. Marinate in that. Point two. Then we look at the second part of this story that Jesus tells. It's the parable of the widow, sorry, the woman with the coins, verses 8 to 10. The woman in the Bible, unnamed women, as I've told you before, are often a type of the Holy Spirit. So we have Jesus, the shepherd, the Holy Spirit as the woman who is seeking out a coin that's lost. She lights a lamp, she sweeps the room, searching for this coin. She wants to bring order and healing. Now that house is a picture of who? It's us. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Jesus said, I'm going to heaven and I'm going to prepare a mansion for you. Was he talking about a house, like a condo? Or was he talking about an upgrade of you in heaven? This house is a picture of you. This is you. There's something lost inside you. The Holy Ghost is trying to find for you. He helps us find our lost identity. He redeems the image and the purpose that he has for your life. So point to Holy Spirit, he's now going to reveal me to myself. He reconciles me to myself. Jesus reconciles me to God. Holy Spirit reconciles me to myself. Jesus reconciles me to God. Holy Spirit reconciles me to myself. There's something missing and lost in me. So he comes to my house and he's searching for something that is lost. It's a lost coin. Holy Spirit has an assignment from God to reveal to me everything that's lost and stolen. I have this conviction that majority of the people on God's planet don't know who they are. They are living with a lost identity. They are living with a pseudo identity, identity that other people have made up for them. They don't know who they truly are. Remember when I taught on the tabernacle, when they came into the holy place, which was a picture of the inner part of our life, our, spirit, our soul, our mind, will and emotions. When they came into the holy place, there was a dirt floor and a heavenly roof. That represented there is a me that's on earth and a me that's in heaven. And the real me that's in heaven, because we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places, God said to Moses, build the tabernacle according to the pattern in heaven. In other words, we need to build ourselves according to the picture in heaven. God has a picture in heaven of who we truly are, and we have a picture of who we are on earth. And the picture on earth has to match the picture in heaven. So when I pray, I'm saying, God, when you look at me, show me what you see. I don't want to be a false me. Now, what do you mean a false me? A false me is an identity that God never created. Did God create shy, timid people? No. Did God create people that are introspective and, and constantly fearful? No, no, no. Now, we have all different types of personalities, but they must be embraced in wholeness. And I said to you before, we all start with, with water and God has different colored cordial, you know, red, yellow, green. And so they're all our different personalities, but they must be whole. And so as we look at this, Holy Spirit is working, sweeping in the house to find that which we've lost. Here's the interesting thing. The woman has nine silver coins. Silver represents redemption. It's that which is purchased, used to purchase Purchase a slave's freedom. It's redemption money. So you're bound and God wants to free you. There's something in this story about freedom. Silver is freedom. It's purchasing that which is lost. I'm going to make you free. Nine is an interesting number because it's a picture or the number of judgment and finality, which is really a picture to us that Jesus wants to put to an end put to a a finality that which is false in our life. Nine is putting to an end, finality, judgment. Jesus died at the ninth hour. He was crucified at 9 a.m., died on the ninth hour. There are nine pictures in the Bible of people born that are then made blind. So it's a picture of blindness. It's a picture of not being able to see. So when Jesus is dying on the cross, he's bringing to a final end that which isn't true. 
Okay? So she's got nine silver coins. Ephesians 4 says we are to put to death the old man, but then we are to put on the new man. So she's got the nine coins, so you get born again. God puts a judgment on your old nature, but now he wants to bring into your new nature. Who is it that I really am now that I'm born again? We no longer regard people according to the flesh. The moment you get born again, you have the amazing invitation to discover who you truly are. No person on the earth can know who they are except by the Spirit of God. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 through to 16. Tells us the whole story about the Holy Spirit. He searches the deep things of God. And he searches them to reveal to us the things that are hidden. No man knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man that's in him. So that tells me only my spirit can define who I am. If I get my recognition out of my soul, picking up on the externals, what people say, I always will come up with a false self. My true self comes from heaven. My spirit interacts with God's spirit and God reveals as I worship and praise and meditate with him, There's a download from heaven, from his spirit to my spirit, because they are joined together. And all of a sudden, there comes a flow into my soul, a recognition of what God sees. Nine coins. The oldest judge, but she's looking for number 10. What's 10 represent? Human responsibility. Ten commandments. I have a responsibility to live according to how God sees me. I have a responsibility to the high calling of God on my life. Not just to see the old nature put aside, but each and every one of us are given this amazing high calling from God. He has marked us with greatness. And I have a responsibility. That's why the Holy Spirit is pursuing this 10th coin, because he wants to partner with me so I would be able to pursue this high calling of all that I am in God, in Christ Jesus. Are you seeing this? He's relentless after that 10th coin because it's our responsibility not just to put off the old, but to embrace the new. Put off the old man, put on the new man. And Holy Spirit has an assignment from the Father because He loves you so much to lift you up to all that you can be. It's a mirror. Hmm. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18 says, We all with unveiled faces behold as in a mirror the glory of God. And we're being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Did you get that? I'll read it again. Listen carefully. We all with unveiled faces. We see as we truly are. We behold as in a mirror the glory of God. And we are transformed from into the same image from glory to glory. I can't see myself. I know you can see me now. I can't see myself. Is that a revelation? Can you see yourself? <sighs> Some of you should see yourself. <laughs> well, I can't see myself. I don't know what I look like. I've got no idea. If I never had a mirror, I'd never know how I looked. This shows me how I see. I see myself as I truly am, not as I think I am. See, without a mirror, I can only think that I know what I am. This brings reality and perspective. This brings insight. Without a mirror, you don't know who you are. You've just got this picture in your head of what you could look like. This shows you who you really are. This is what this scripture is saying. That as I look into the mirror, I behold the glory of God. You know what his glory means? See, we we spiritualize, oh, his glory. His glory actually means his opinion, his judgment, his view. As I look into the mirror, I behold what he sees. Where's the mirror? I begin to fellowship with God. I look, see, his glory is within me, Christ in me. As I begin to fellowship with the Holy Spirit, he begins to show me, he, he's the mirror. He says, this is what I see when I look at you. And as I look at that image, it says, I am transformed from glory to glory, from his glory 
to my glory. He, he changes me. But also from one revelation of his good opinion to another. There's a transformation. Every time I spend time with the Holy Spirit, he's upgrading the way I see myself. Many Christians live without a mirror. They haven't combed their hair, brushed their teeth, put on makeup, and they don't look right. Holy Spirit is our mirror, and his job is to search in our heart and reveal to us the deep mysteries about who we truly are. You can't know yourself without the Holy Spirit. So each day we wake up, we need to ask Holy Spirit, what is it you see when you see me? I've been branded by myself, by, by the lies of the enemy. You know, those thoughts in our heads. Let me tell you about those thoughts in the head. They're not you. They're Satan masquerading as you. They sound like you because he knows the way that you think. So he comes into your head and he speaks lies into your head. He's trying to shape the mirror of your life. Yeah. See, the Bible is a mirror too. James says that we behold his word like a mirror. The Holy Spirit is in our house searching for that tenth coin. He wants to redeem the image. So this coin had an image on it. It had a Roman image on the coin. It speaks to us about our lost image that God wants to redeem. So Holy Spirit reveals me so I can be reconciled to myself. And lastly, from verse 11 to verse 32 is a picture of what Father now does. The Holy Spirit is redeeming me. He's restoring my image of myself. Jesus is pursuing me, restoring me back to God. But now Father, you know what he's doing? He's waiting for me. He wants me to be reconciled to the world, reconciled to God, reconciled to myself, reconciled to the world. 110.2. My position with God is established. Then I go through this process of being transformed, of becoming more like who I truly am. And then in this last stage, this is what, this is what separates the men from the boys. This is what separates God's army from people that just attend church this is where we begin to capture the mind of god for the nations of the world this is where we go from our position to this place of of god transforming us to a place where we are wrestling with god for the future of nations and our city this is where we begin to think way beyond ourselves and this is the reason why jesus pursued you he pursued you because he believed there was something inside you that could change our city. True. Amen. Amen. True. Amen. Absolutely. He pursued you based on his foreknowledge. If he thought you didn't have it, he wouldn't have pursued you. The third parable is about reconciliation to the world, restores my position, my purpose. And this part is about partnership. The, son's, the son misused his inheritance and, and actually cut off his partnership with the father. The son didn't understand that the inheritance that was his wasn't just for him, for his pleasure, for him to get his house and car and, and all the lovely things that God wants to give us. But it was bigger than that. The father has a plan for the nations. But the son misused his inheritance. He turned it all into what's good for me. And listen to what it says in verse 12 in the, the Passion Translation. It says, The youngest son came to his father and said, Dad, father, don't you think it's time to give me my share? Don't you think it's time to give me my share? And then he went and took the inheritance and he blew it. Saints that are impatient and that don't have the mind of God and see the big picture over their life. He pursues us. We come into the kingdom. He then transforms us. But now we're in this last stage where God's saying, I want to show you the reason why I pursued you and transformed you. I want to partner with you in the saving of nations, in the transforming of nations. If ever there was a time, I know we all say that in every generation, but if ever there was a time for godly people to touch a city and a nation, it's right now. Amen. But his son took his inheritance 
and spend it on himself. Me, my, and see, many songs are written out. It's all about me. It's all about me. I don't feel well. And we've turned this whole walk with God into very, very self-centered analysis. And there is a place, I've just talked to you about discovering who you are, but it's for a purpose. And so you would come out in wholeness and begin to disciple nations. How can we disciple nations unless we're whole? There's a purpose to what? This, this whole second part is we discover our purpose of who we are, and it's to partner with God. It's not for selfish reasons, but he couldn't wait. I can't, mate. I'm out of here. Give me what... See, normally they waited for the father to die to get their inheritance. By saying, I want your inheritance, he's saying, I wish you were dead and out of my life. That's what he was saying. And the father gave him his third share, being the second oldest, and he went out and blew the lot. I don't know about you, but the devil is always creating... Stories and illusions in my heart that God's holding out of me. He's going to make you wait. He's going to send you to the place you don't want to go. He's going to, you know what, he's promised you a whole lot, but you know what, he can't be trusted. You'll be 95 and still be waiting for that breakthrough. Oh, you can't trust him. He's got all the time in the world. He'll outlast you. You'll die and go to heaven and you still won't get your breakthrough. This is what he says. Does he ever say that to you? Or is he only bugging me? <laughs> but he does that. He creates all these illusions. But you need to understand, time is the means of God to enter our world and bring revelation. That's the whole purpose of time, that God would use this time to come into our world and reveal to us who he is and what he wants to do. That's the purpose of time, to bring the entrance of revelation. Time is not your enemy, it's your friend. Here's the truth. Your day will come. And in the wait, all the priorities of your life are going to be honed and sharpened. It's a tester. It's what time is. It's a tester of time. And what endures the test of time will stand. That's what time is about. God's not trying to outlast you. He's not in some uh, Mexican standoff. No, there is a purpose to what's happening. And this young son, he didn't see the big picture that the father was preparing him to take nations. He just wanted his inheritance. I can't be bothered waiting this whole waiting game. He didn't see that the whole purpose of the father was partnership. He was waiting and preparing him so he could take on the family business. And some of you are frustrated with what God's doing in your life, but he's preparing you for partnership. He wants to prepare you for something great. We talk about nations and influencing cities. What would it mean if God gave you influence in government, in business? Could you handle the pressure, the responsibility? Would you come out with foolish things out of your mouth? Have you learnt to hold your tongue? Have you seen the whole purpose of wisdom? Or you just shoot off whatever comes out of your mouth? Are you up one day and down the next? That's what time's about. It's testing our heart, preparing us for partnership. Are you with me? You need though, when it's your time, nothing can stop you. Solomon says there's a time for every purpose under heaven. And if you're out of time, you make a mess of your life. Just ask Abraham. Just look at what's happened last week in Jerusalem. It all goes back to a man, God bless his heart, the father of our faith. But for one moment, he got out of time and he messed his life up. It's in the waiting. And Father's preparing you for partnership. Lazarus is a picture, we're almost finished, of time. Jesus loved Mary and Martha as much as anyone that he had ever loved. They were his friends. He went there when it all got too much and he needed a rest. They were his companions. They understood his heart. They weren't after miracles. They weren't after, you know... Signed CDs and books. They didn't want to go on tour with him. They just wanted to be his friend and hang out and fish with him. Just do stuff. And Jesus loved them. 
But do you know the story in, with, in John chapter 11? That his timing was terrible. It's like the people he loves the most. His, terrible was all, his timing was all over the place. But you see, the problem was that Mary and Martha didn't understand the Father's timing. It's impossible for God to be late. Did you hear that? It's impossible for God to be late. Sometimes he has to let things die inside you so there can be a resurrection. Did you hear that? His timing is perfect. Sometimes there are things that must die within you. He's waiting for the death of what is inside you so there can be a resurrection of life and the promise that he's given you. And we're saying, oh, where are you? I've served. I've been the steward for 15 years, I hope, City Church. I've tithed every week. Where are you when I need you? And God says, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, is that the time? (laughs) Who forgot to wind up the clock in heaven? He's like, he's he's never late. His timing is perfect. Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I never get it wrong. I'm here at the perfect time. And you and I need to understand that when we wait with our Father, at the right time, it will be revealed. Timing is everything. There are things in my life that although are true, are yet to be revealed. Did you hear that? There are things inside you that are real and true, but nobody can see them. And the only way that people can see them is if the Father reveals them. He said to Peter, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And some of us are anxious. Why can't people see that inside this man is the greatest Whatever. Or inside this woman is the greatest entrepreneur or the greatest preacher or the greatest wife or whatever it is. Why can't people see that? Jesus at 12 was the Messiah. But no one realized it. Very few. His mum and dad didn't know. But what was inside him hadn't yet been revealed because it wasn't the right time. And what's inside you is real. And Father knows it and you know it. And some of us are frustrated. Why can't the world see it? Because it hasn't been revealed. It's not Father's time. You can't reveal it. Only the Father can reveal it. So you come to a place of rest. In your perfect time, I will wait for your time. You are never late. And in your time, you release me into partnership with you. I won't waste my inheritance. I won't crack the sands and say, I want my money. I'm out of here, Jack. You do that, you'll get an Ishmael. And you'll be back again, reinstated with the ring, the robe, and the sandals. But you still would have gone through a journey of the pig pen. David was anointed, we're almost finished, in three ways. This is what this parable was about. He's anointed the first time by Samuel. Do you remember the story? Last picked. No one could see what's inside him. Last picked, but he's anointed. This anointing was about one thing. I choose you. Jesus pursues the lost sheep. I choose you. So David is a picture of us. And Samuel comes and says, right, not you, not you, not you. You. I choose you. And that's what God's doing today. He's saying, I chose you. There is no B, A, sorry, B plan, you're my plan. Yeah. And if each and every one of us live with this deep-seated conviction, I am chosen by God. I know you laughed at me the other week, but it's true. In my heart, I believed that when my mother carried me, <laughs> that there was something special about me. Now, I know she may not have been as spiritual as me and picked it up. <laughs> and I know some of you have gone and asked her about that as well. But the truth is... That I have this deep conviction that the moment I was born, there was something special about my life. Now, I say this to my kids when they're on their own. You're the most beautiful child in all the world. You're the smartest. Then another kid will hear that. Oh, what does that mean? No, no, no. You're the most beautiful. You're the most beautiful. And you're the most beautiful. And you're the most... 
popular, okay? Because what I'm, what I'm installing in their hearts is true. My uniqueness doesn't take away your uniqueness. In the mind of God, he has eyes only for me. John says, I'm the one that Jesus loved. Why? Because he believed it. So David is selected by God. You are chosen by God. That has to brand your heart for the rest of your life. When I wake up, all of heaven says, now we can begin. I'm not preaching heresy. This is what the Bible teaches. I chose you. Israel, you are the apple of my eye. Israel was a little speck. Even I saw a map of all the Muslim countries and then Israel. Little tiny country in the right little pinprick. Causing all that trouble. And he says, you are the apple of my eye. And they believe it. And out of that nation have come Nobel Peace winners, scientists, filmmakers disproportion of geniuses that have come out of that nation because they believe that they are chosen by God. So there's an anointing on David. You're chosen. Samuel anoints David. Then there's a second anointing, which is Judah. He's anointed at Judah. And in this work of Judah, there is a perfecting of David's character, discovering of who he is. It says that when he was anointed at Judah, the house of David grew stronger, listen, and the house of Saul grew weaker. The false died and the true came up. That's what's happening. That's the whole picture of the coin. He's getting rid of the old and he's searching for the new. And the last anointing of David was the kingly anointing in Israel. He was anointed as king. Israel is a prince with God partnering with God in the shaping of nations. Reconciled to God, reconciled to myself, reconciled to the world. This is how the love of the Father is demonstrated. As a child, what does John say? As a child, as a young man, and as a father. Right through the Bible, I could give you Noah's Ark. Many, many examples of this process of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit working in holy unity. Their love is expressed to bring us to this place of maturity. He pursues me. He perfects me. And he's in partnership with me. And that's how God's love is expressed. Wherever you find yourself in this journey, whether you're beginning, you don't know Jesus, he's pursuing you. And the moment you feel stirring in your heart, that's a big tick that you're being pursued by God. And once he, he's called the hound from heaven. And once he pursues you, he will never stop. It's all over. He's going to get you. So if you've never given your heart to Jesus and you're on watching on live stream, you're here today, let him, let him come in. He is the greatest shepherd. He will put you on his shoulders. Like the priests put the stones engraved on their shoulders. He will bear you up before God. He will carry you. He will sustain you for the rest of your life. He says, come to me, all you weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. I'll put you on my shoulders. I'll carry you, sustain you. So if you've never asked Jesus into your life, do it today. Secondly, Holy Spirit comes into your house to reveal who you are. My prayer for every one of you is that you would discover how great you are. You would rediscover yourself in your fellowship with God. You begin to see what He sees. Holy Spirit loves you. And He's in a pursuit today to reveal yourself. So, would you take time this week, even if it's for five minutes each day, and say, Holy Spirit, show me the mirror. When you look at me, what do you see? I want to be defined by your words. When Benjamin's mother was dying and Benjamin was about to be born, she named him son of my sorrow. But the father says, no, he'll be called Benjamin. So we will not be named by that which is of the earth, 
but by our Father in heaven. What is it you see when you see me? And the more we hear negativity, the more we need to come into his presence. Teach me what you see when you see me. That's not indulgent. That's called being made whole, so I can be useful. A false me can't help you. I can't help you if I'm not whole. I just lead you into more pain. And I'll take from you and not give. Listen, your gift of wholeness is the gift that you give the world. You owe the world your wholeness. And lastly, we come to that place where Father's waiting with us. He's molded us through time and revelation. So we would see the value of partnership. That this isn't all just about me. This is about partnering with God to change the nation. This is where God begins to give you an upgrade of his master plan. Where are you in that line? It doesn't matter where you are today. Embrace that. Receive his love and move forward. 100, 10 and 2. So why don't you lift your hands with me today. Lord, we pray that this word would just grip the hearts of every person here today. That the revelation that's flown from you through my spirit to these people would bear much fruit. Thank you, Jesus, that you pursue us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you reveal yourself to us, reveal ourselves to us. Thank you, Father, that you wait for us in partnership. And we receive this today. We receive this revelation deep into our spirits and we want to say yes to your love. We want to say yes to your love at every stage. We submit to your love. We surrender to your love today. In Jesus' name. As your people go out this week, let them function in your love this week. Wherever they go, wherever they meet people, let them understand that, that Jesus is pursuing people through them. Use them powerfully this week. Let them see, Lord, much fruit, lives changed, people saved, people prayed over, people ministered to. Flow through us this week, we pray, Lord Jesus.